Uh, I don't think I have said this in a year because we've had such a roller coaster of a year, but I'm so thankful for the technology that God has given us to be able to kind of stay together during this time. You know, at least we're connected. We can hear each other. We can see each other when we're not in this, you know, can't be in the same room. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, a a year or so ago, I I could make bold predictions like, oh, that'll never happen. Uh, Yeah, or, well, we'll this is the way it'll play out. I have no idea. You know, I think we've learned not to be presumptuous in that regard. Uh, But it does feel like uh, that we're beginning to move forward. You know, that, that, that the wheels are, are, are kind of slowly grinding and starting to turn again, and we're, we're coming out of this. And that is our prayer, and that is our expectation. So for the first time in the year, I'm going to encourage, I'm going to tell those of you who are online, I'm absolutely delighted you're there. Stay there as long as you need to and as long as your family needs to. But I'm going to encourage you to begin to think about and to pray about coming back to this room and uh, just to worship because... Days like today, moments like we've just had, you know, these these last several songs, you, you just got to be in the room. You know, I, I, we, we've we've streamed a couple of concerts during during the pandemic, and it's been and it's good. It's just not like being there, is it? It's like there's something about being in a room with a concert and the music. So, the preaching stay pretty much the same. It's just going to flatline. But to 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 get this this kind of worship, you. You need to be in the room if you can, if you can. You take your time, do what's best for you. Uh, we're all trying to make the smartest decisions and get through this, right? Uh, and I just want to say a personal note to those of you who are regular attenders, members of Calvary, whether you're online or whether you're in this room. And I feel myself getting... Um, I'm going to put my mask on so you can't tell that I'm getting emotional. But I'm just so proud of you. Just as your pastor, as your friend, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. Um, There's lots of different opinions about a lot of things, especially COVID. Especially how do we respond? What do we do? You know, and, and I don't know. You know, we... We, we kind of make this up as we go along. We get all the best information. We make our decision. Uh, I told someone who was by here this week from another church, and he said, this is driving us crazy. He said, we make a decision, and by that afternoon, we unmake it and, re- and make another decision. I said, I totally understand. I get that. But you have just rocked along with us. You have flowed and just been beautiful. So I just want to thank you on behalf of the pastors and the staff and the teachers here at Calvary. It is not an easy task, and we're, we, we're always not sure, like, okay, what do we do now? And uh, we've got to pivot, and we, we've got to, you know, come up with another game plan. Uh, so, anyway, God bless you, and thank you, whether, you know, however you've responded to this, whatever you've done, uh, we've done it together, and we're going we're gonna to make it through this last little season, okay? Worship is such a big deal, folks. Oh, it's such a big deal. Worship is not only something that just blesses God, and hopefully that's like first priority, and then it blesses us. I mean, aren't you glad? Uh, uh, One of our students said, I always look forward to Sunday. And then when the weekend comes, and I think Sunday's coming, and I just love being in this room. And it just, you know, you get refueled and replenished and everything. And, 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 I, and I love that. But worship is something else. Worship is a 
powerful, powerful deterrent to temptation. It may be one of your biggest guns, one of your strongest weapons. So I'm, I'm just going to step out into your life, into your, into your space, and to say this. If you are not regularly worshiping God, and whether that's in a corporate, public kind of setting like we have uh, maybe on a Sunday, or if it's privately for you in your kitchen, your bedroom, your car, you know, if you're not worshiping God, how are you going to stand firm against temptation? How are you going to resist temptation? And I'll just be kind of a smarty pants back and say, you're not. You're not. I can tell you. I can tell you from my own life. I can tell you from, I started to say hundreds. I can say thousands of lives I've observed without, without exaggerating. When you disconnect from worship, when you divorce worship from your lifestyle and your experience, you're an easy mark. You become just a bigger and bigger target. Now, I found something really powerful years ago in my life, and it's just words. It's just words. You know, I was doing some research, and I'm so, <laughs> I'm so geeky. You know, last night I was watching a YouTube video, and uh, Kathy's like, what are you watching? I said, oh, I'm, I'm watching this video about... How far back in time can we keep going and understand English? You know, how far back could we go if we were to be able to time travel and we could still speak with people and understand them? See, she was just as fascinated as you are. And she's watching this funny video and just laughing, just laughing, laughing. And she looks over at me and uh, like, oh... Bless your heart, your poor, boring language video. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, did you know in 1600s we could probably go back? No, how about that? That's awesome. You know? and, and I know, I know you think, wow, he is really just as dull in his private life as he is, you know, in, in public. But I found that there's, there are power, there's such power in words. And not just in words, but in spoken words. In spoken words. And when you say the words, you have no power over me. There's something intense. There's electricity in that. So I'm going to get you to do this. And... If you're like me, I used to never like when pastor asked, no, don't make me do anything. I just, I've made my nest. I'm sitting here. I've got all my stuff. Don't, don't make me say stuff. But I'm going to make you say something. I want you to say this with me. I'm going to say it again, and then you say it, okay? We'll say it together. Uh, you have no power over me. Are you ready? Let's say it. You have no power over me. When you say that, the tempter loses his power because you've confessed truth. You've countered the lie that he tells you every day that he's more powerful than you and you can't ever stop this. You can't ever resist that. You're power- well, what am I going to do? You know, and, uh, and he just, if he can keep that thread, if he can keep that lie running in the background, then he's going to defeat you. But when you confess and when you, when you profess and say, you know what, you don't have power over me anymore. 
He's like, oh, shoot, you, you figured it out. Yeah, and, and I don't, and, and you're set free. You think, Dan, that's kind of simplistic. I know, I get it. And I'm not saying you just say those magic words like bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you have no power over me. And, and so I'm never going to... No, you know what? It's, it's still a heart issue. But I want to tell you what, you're going to have a powerful moment. Um, and it's not unlike the moment that Jesus has in the temptation that we're going to look at today. In Luke chapter 4, verses about 5 to 8 is what we're going to cover this morning. Uh, Jesus is confronted with the question of who truly has power over whom. You see, some of you living in this bondage of thinking, well, I just don't have the power. I mean, it's, he's just so, so terrible. and He's so strong. And what am I going to do about that? Well, let's, let's look at that. First, let me uh, read this incident with you of, of what happened here. And it says this in verse 5. And the devil took him up, immediately took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And there was a pause. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He confessed. He said it out loud. Before diving into this uh, the specific temptation that, that Jesus faced, I think it's worth kind of pausing to note uh, just this rapid-fire nature, you know, the way that these temptations come. Now, I would love it if I had time to gear up every day. I'm going to mention twice, uh, one of the things we're doing during the week is playing Little League ball, and I'm helping coach one of these teams. We play one team that has all the full gear. I mean, this is first through third graders, so we don't have a real catcher, just one of our dads. There's one team. He has... um, MLB catcher equipment, and he puts it all on. So we usually have to wait between innings for him to get suited up. And he's got it all. He's got the black under his eyes. And I'm thinking, you're a first grader. (laughs) Where did you get all that stuff? But he does that. And so we wait, you know, we kind of wait. I kind of wish my life was like that with temptation, don't you? Oh, here comes the temptation. I better get ready. (laughs) I better suit up and put my armor on and get, okay, all right. I'm ready. You know, it never happens like that. It just goes boom, boom. And then it's followed right up with another temptation. Maybe along those same lines or maybe something totally different you didn't see coming. And that is what is happening with Jesus. It's just one after the other, these temptations that he faces just in these 13 verses. I think Jesus, I know, Jesus was tempted his entire life. This is kind of pulled out, you know, and a spotlight is put on this moment. But don't think that he didn't face temptations every day just like you. When he was high school age, 
when he was college age, when he was an adult, he faced all of these same, same things. No sooner had, you know, Satan said, you know, and he told Satan, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn those rocks into bread. I'm not going to do that because, and the scripture says the devil took him up. Okay. We're not going to do that. Let's go to the next thing. Jesus isn't given even just a moment to catch his breath. And so often, neither are we, right? You just feel like, man, I'm just under this attack or it just seems so constant. In Ephesians 6, after mentioning in verse 11 the schemes of the devil, these plans, these plots, these, you know, that's, that's kind of strategies against you, Paul encourages believers to suit up in the armor of God. And he says in verse 13, once you've suited up, once you're ready, stand firm. And then to stand firm. And I love this image. I love the word picture here because what he's talking about, armor obviously is a military, you know, kind of a defensive thing, right? Uh, and so you've, you've got all this on. And then there would be a literal command. It was one of the commands of battle where uh, the, the general over the army would yell, stand firm. And that meant that you locked into battle position. You locked into position and you're ready to face the enemy. And when that order was given, you could move forward, you could stay where you are, but you were not to retreat. You were not to step back. So Paul says, put your armor on, put your spiritual warfare armor on, and then stand firm. We're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. We're not those who, who retreat. The imagery is just this of uh, constant vigilance. You know, where you're just alert and you're aware and you're watching. Folks, we need to assume that we are always susceptible to an attack. You just need to assume that. Okay, back to the team. You know, we, we mentioned the team. Uh, half the team never played baseball before. None of us have played in a long time because of COVID. Last year's season was kind of wiped off. So uh, there's a lot of rust we're trying to knock off, you know, and kids are learning this sport for the first time. But just like uh, the teams you were on or you know your kids, everybody wants to play key positions, right? Uh, nobody, there's, there's one little guy, and I just love him. He's one of the, the cutest guys, you know, I think. I know, I'm your coach, but man, you're just cute. Can I just get a little, can I just get a, you know, he's just, and he's, he's just about this tall, and he's about this, this wide, and he's just decked out, and he's just, and he always, the first game, first game, I may have shared this, I hope I didn't, first game, he's standing out there, I put him in right field, okay, as far back as I could, because I thought he's going to get killed, uh, so he's back there, and he is just, he's like this, he's just shaking, and he said, coach, 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 I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I said, me too. First game, first game. I'm so excited. I said, me too. He said, I'm so excited. I don't know what to do if the ball comes to me. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I said, I'm just inside. I'm praying, oh, Lord, don't let the ball come to him yet. <laughs> but he's kind of gained some confidence. He's kind of gained. And I said, just throw it first. I don't care if they've already passed first, if they're just uh, because it's it's about twenty feet to first. I thought I think he can throw that far, so just let's just get the ball back in. But he was so, he, and he would just say, "I'm so excited," and I remember that feeling. He just brought that back. He just brought that back to me. 
Well, by the third game, he's feeling a little more confident. So in the last game, he comes up and says, can I play first base? I go, no, <laughs> no. Can I play shortstop? No, <laughs> no. You, got, you know, I'm just looking at him, and he's got his safety goggles on, and, and you know, really, and, and I just think, no, not, not yet. So all, all these players want to play those positions, right? They all want to bat first. They all want to do that. Well, there's one little boy, and he's just always so, can I play? Can I play? You, you said, parents, you ever heard that? Coaches, you ever heard that? You said, I think, did I say? Do you have a receipt? Do you have, do you have video? I don't think so. I don't think I said that. Did you hear me? anybody else hear me say that? But he said, you said I could play infield. You said I could play. I said, okay. And this, this child, it's hard to keep him focused, so hard to keep him focused. So I said, okay, you know what? You can play second base. It's a great, it's a great position, and it really is. I said, second base. He was just thrilled, so he gets on second base. But by the third, fourth inning, yeah, second base, you know, shine's kind of worn off a little bit. I told him, I said, you got to, and, and we yell this almost every play, baseball positions, ready positions, watch the ball, watch the batter. Keep your head in the game. I mean, we just have to say that over and over, first through third grade. Do you remember? Those of your parents, do you remember looking out there and that one's picking clover? That one's got his glove on his head. That one's throwing dirt up in the air and watching it kind of make a cloud and come down. Well, my new second baseman, we had a fast play and he wasn't paying attention. In fact, he had turned around and was talking to somebody way out in the outfield. Wasn't even facing that direction. But the shortstop did the exact right thing. They caught the ball, came up, made the play, threw it hard and fast straight to second base. Nailed the guy right in the shoulder. (laughs) And he's so offended, he turns around and says, What did you do that? Why did you throw the ball at me? Well, he's supposed to throw the ball at you. It's going to come at you. It's going to happen a lot. That's baseball, you know, and you've got to be ready. It's just hitting, catching, running, and throwing. That's all it is. That's all it is. What could be simpler? But he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. Folks, you're in the game. You're in this. You are in this, and the ball's coming at you. It's coming at you hard, it's coming at you fast, and it's going to happen again and again and again. I had a guy I was talking to, and he said, you know, during the pandemic, he said, I'm at home all the time. We're not going out, I'm locked into my house and all this. He said, I've never been more tempted. I've never found more creative ways to sin (laughs) from my house locked up, you know, than I ever have before. And I said, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? This time, Jesus faces the temptation to receive worldly glory and power. And some of you daydream about that, being a star athlete, being a movie star, a rock star, a celebrity of some kind, you know, holding some position. Jesus is just given this. And in his imagination, he can see it. In his emotions, he could could feel that. The devil showed him the nations of the world and offered them and their glory to Jesus. This can be yours. All he had to do, there's just one one little thing. So easy, so easy. Here's the paperwork. If you'll just sign here, an initial here, here, 
and here we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up, get this part done, and uh, and this is all yours. He said, well, "What what is what is that that condition?" Uh, <clears throat> just worship me. I'm sorry, worship me. I think the enemy went there so quickly and and and, and just in, in such a relentless way because so much of our temptation is rooted in worship. It's rooted in what you worship. And don't go all self-righteous on me and say, no, I only worship God. You know? Yeah, well, we'll talk about that and we'll kind of see what, what that is. What is worship? When we worship something, when you're in the act of worship, it's when you give your devotion, your affection, your time, your mental energy, when, when you give your creativity and imagination, some of you worship some things, and, and it's, it's crazy how creative you've gotten to be able to do certain things. You know, I mean, it's just, it, 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 we, we think, wow, how did, you, how did you come up with that? Well, because I worship that. Now, when we worship God, we see his beauty and his splendor and his goodness and his glory. And we remember his love and his grace toward us and all these blessings that, that he's given. And our hearts are warmed you know, our souls wake up and we realize, wow, I was contemplating exchanging the glory of God for something temporary, for something passing. What the devil promises us is ultimately a whole lot of nothing. But without worship of God, it's really easy. It will become progressively easier to forget that God is the only true, this is the only reflection of reality. When we're tempted to seek uh, power, and you think, well, I don't want to be powerful. I don't want to hold a position. Yeah, but you want to control your relationships. You want to control your husband. You want to control your parents. You want to manipulate this. You want to do that. You know, when, when we seek that kind of power and the glory from that, you know, that, that, that comes other than God's, we should remind Satan, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. Paul uh, says in, in Ephesians, and I know I quote Paul a lot. I think he's just such a fascinating, amazing guy. And uh, just so filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he said in Ephesians 13, we are able to stand against the attack of evil when we face it with faith. In our faith, through our faith. That's the, that's the vehicle of it. So regardless of what power Satan may have, we actually have more in us. He does not want you to know that. He wants you to think that Christianity is you mimicking Jesus, is that you keeping a list 
of rules and guidelines, and as long as I can check those boxes, then, then I'm this, and if it's, you know, if I can keep all the legalities straight, and if my moral behavior is in line, then I, I'm a pretty good Christian. And he's like, yeah, well, you're almost there. You're almost there. You kind of get that part of the concept, but no, it's Christ in you. It's Christ in me. It, it's, you know, that... It's such a powerful thing. And Jesus shows us in his response that worship of God is this ultimate secret weapon. It's the way to fight temptation. In Luke 4, Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. And I love how his life, his soul, his heart, his mind is so inundated with Scripture that he just responds in Scripture. And if you have a particular temptation that just is really relentless and hard for you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you firsthand, if you will memorize Scripture kind of connected to that or that counters that, it'll come back to your mind and your heart in the moment when you're tempted. It's just remarkable, but it will. So I'm going to encourage you to, to maybe think about that as this weapon to put in your arsenal. So Jesus quotes just right off the top of his head, Deuteronomy 6, 13, which says, nope, we're to worship God alone. And when we worship God and we see these things and, and we feel that, and we begin, you know, so that, that this exchange begins to take place uh, in us. And it's, it's a big thing. Because you see, we we are heirs with Christ. And that means if we suffer some, and I'm not going to tell you it's going to be just, this is so easy. You ever had somebody try to sell you on Christianity or whatever and just say, it's so easy. So easy. Just listen, just bow your head, pray this prayer. Bada boom, you're in. You know, you're, you're and then from then on, it's just clear sailing. Oh my good! All my troubles started when I started following Jesus. How about you? I mean, that's when. I, as long as I'm just kind of floating along, I didn't really have. It's when I turned and said, "No, I'm going to go this way." That's when all the trouble started. So I'm, I'm not telling you. I don't want to mislead you. You know, it's going to be easy. There, there may be some suffering, but it also means that in the long run we will be glorified. Romans eight seventeen says, "You will be glorified." with Christ. You don't have to seek your own glory. You don't have to, have to try to generate that, you know, and to manufacture that for yourself. And he says, no, you know what? That's part of the deal. That's part of the package. You're going to be glorified with Jesus. With Jesus. That's just incredible. These truths will only comfort us or strengthen us, you know, empower us when we are locked and engaged and consistent in a lifestyle of worship. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, if you try to leave that out of your life, you, you're going to be defeated. That's where the power is. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish. I love that word. I thought, I'm not sure which translation that is, but that's the one I like. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
and we take captive thought, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. Remember the command I said earlier to stand firm? We're not running going, oh, I hope they don't catch me. I hope they don't catch me, and I'm taken captive yet again. He goes, no, mm-mm. We're turning around. We're going to face the bully of temptation. We're going to say, I'm not backing up this time. In fact, I'm taking you captive. How does that feel? How does that feel? Can you just feel, can you just feel that? Getting victory over temptation means that your flesh is treated as dead. Romans 6.11 is probably a familiar scripture for most of you. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Dead to sin. sin. For a long time, I kind of struggled with that verse, haven't you? I thought, well, that's a little confusion. Uh, and I read these words, and I feel a little frustrated, and I think, well, now I'm just a bigger failure than ever. <laughs> dead to sin. You see, it already is a fact. I, I'm not supposed to try and make it a fact. It is a fact. Now, I believe Paul is talking about sin. He's talking about the operating system. You know, th- this power, this entity. Not, not your sins. Za. The actions and the behaviors, not so much as, as this, this power, this, this program running, running in your life in the background. He says, now that's unplugged. You're dead to the power of sin, and the power of sin is dead in me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel that. Because he will use what you think and your old habits and your memories, and he will use your feelings, the way you feel about that, to say, oh, look, it must not be true, because look how you feel about that. How, how do I count on this? How do I bring that into my real life experience? See, when I'm enticed into flesh, in, into that flesh's pull and, and influence, and the appeal of my old man, who I used to be, is tugging at me. And, it, and, it, and it's, try, it's trying to, to take me captive. Then I can take that thought captive, hand it over to Jesus, and draw on his life. You know, when you, you see these like war movies, and they take all these prisoners, and then they turn them over to the guard, to the stockade, to the, whatever. They, they capture them. They don't just keep them and just carry them around with them. I, gotta, you know, let me get my, I captured a bunch of prisoners. Let me take them. I'm going to take them with me. No, you, you, you turn them over. You take captive your thoughts and then turn them over to Jesus. You turn those over to Jesus, and you begin to draw on, on, on his life. Because your flesh is lying to you. We have to wake up. It's lying to you, and it will always lie to you. And it's really good at it. It's really a good liar. I think God allows temptation in order to isolate, identify, and uproot unrighteousness. He exposes your flesh. Anything outside of God only meets, you know, the surface need and provides very, and you know this, 
You know this. It's just a real, if you blow up at them and just really let them have it, that's going to feel so good. And you think, yeah, it feels so good. Five minutes later, you think, it doesn't feel so good anymore. Now I feel shame. Now I feel something else. Because it only meets a very temporary relief. And then it has to be repeated over and over and over again. And that's how you get into bondage. Because when you repeatedly turn that strong desire desire outward and you use a solution maybe you think worked for you before or a worldly something, you know, then, then a pattern of behavior becomes fixed. And it, it turns into this root of unrighteousness. And that really quickly grows up into a fruit of called sin. Temptation can lead to sin or it can lead to purity. Temptation forces a choice. Forces a choice. And every time we face temptation, we choose where am I going to take my needs? See, you may have some legit needs. You know, you may have some, some real things. You think, oh, Lord, will we allow God to fulfill those and to satisfy uh, whatever that, that craving, that need, whatever that is? Or will you take the drive-through, fast-food, <laughs> spiritual approach and, and just say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do this quick fix and then I'm good for just a little while. How's that working for you? This creates bondage, right? It just, it just pulls you in. Our fleshly impulses become fleshly patterns by repeating an action over and over, and then you feel trapped. Temptation is kind of like a, um, I think it's called a heart, is a, an echocardiogram. You know, where they can just, they can look at and then just take a picture, just pinpoints where your weaknesses are. It reveals the flesh, and this isn't anything new. I remember my dad was like 39, which was like years and years and years ago. And they said, your dad has 90% blockage here. He has 100% blockage here. He has 50% blockage here. And it's just crazy. They could just look in there, and they could see these are the trouble places. Temptation kind of works like that. Uh, it, it just shows. It reveals your flesh, and it exposes our heart so that it can't hide there undetected. So it's in a way, like James said, it could be good news because you may have never seen this before. It drags it out into the light and it forces a crucifixion moment for you. And then you experience the power that's already there. Let me ask you something. If God used temptation to bring his own son to full maturity, is it possible, can he do the same thing with you and you? If he did it with Jesus, I was telling someone this morning, I said, I think, why was Jesus baptized? Who needs to baptize Jesus? You know, you think, why was Jesus tempted? We know he's not going to. He went through the same thing. Because I think if he was never tempted, it would be so easy for me to go, 
You have no idea. You don't know what it feels like. You don't know. This is hard. And Jesus says, uh, 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 I went through everything you've ever been through. All your imaginations, your feelings, uh, all those desires. I had those too. You want my power? You want to know how I resisted that? Wow. So it was temptation that brought that out. You're not fighting, really, you're not fighting a battle with sin. That's already been fought and won. That was fought and won on the cross. Uh, You're simply choosing him and his overcoming life that is in you. You're just releasing that. It's when you choose to stand firm and to say, you have no power over me. Now, I said a moment ago, and I'm going to stick by this, I believe the power that we're released from is this entity. It is, this, it is the power of sin itself, that destructive force. But it expands expresses itself, sin expresses itself in sins. And it may be we have to start right there and for you to begin to feel that confession of truth, that the power over those sins that is already yours, you'll begin to understand and believe that you are powerful. You are dangerous you have overcome sin through Christ so here's what we're going to do we're going to get a little Pentecostal up here okay so I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to do this real quickly because I don't want to take a lot of time I'm just going to say something and I know if you, you got your mask on you know how that's sort of a shield and you think, I would be embarrassed, but well, since I got the mask on, nobody can see me being foolish. I don't think it's foolish. I think this is going to be a powerful thing for some. I'm just going to say a word and I want you to say out loud, you have no power over me. I'm going to take it one step further. And I know a lot of folks aren't going to do this and that's okay. Uh, a friend of mine said, I, it was something about who he said something about me, and I said, "Well, what do you think about me?" He goes, "Oh, I know about you." I said, "What do you think you know about me?" He said, "You are a closet introvert." He said, "But you're very skilled at acting like you're extrovert." <laughs> I felt I felt you know found out. I felt like, "Oh, I'm busted. I'm busted." And he said, "He said there are probably more pastors out there." I said, "Maybe we should form a club, a support group, you know, introverts who act, act, act." I know you think I don't want to. I don't want to say this, but just for you, for you, say it strong. Say it strong. Let's say it so strong that the Methodists next door hear us and the Presbyterians over here hear it. Okay, let's do. <laughs> Church of Christ across the street, church row. We're gonna wake we're gonna wake up. So I'm gonna say a word, and after I say it, you have no power over me. Are you ready? Church? Cheating. Pride. Selfishness. Lust. 
envy, anger, jealousy, comparison, shame, fear, bondage, racism, gluttony, porn, drugs, materialism, drunkenness, sexual sin, violence, laziness, dishonesty, overindulgence, Lord, you are powerful in us. Your word is powerful in us. Your spirit is powerful in our spirit. None of these things or a hundred other things has power over us because sin has lost its power. Oh God, please help us to believe that, to embrace it, and to stand firm in Jesus' name. Amen.